You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Predictions for 2021 focus on ransomware. It'll be better, more aggressive, bigger, and a greater problem in every way. Cyber espionage and the cold chain. Cyber criminal interest in COVID-19 vaccines extends to both theft and fraud. Johannes Ulrich on the Dot Well Known directory. Our guest is Michael McGrath from OneSpan on what the financial sector needs to consider now that we're in post-election season. And what's one effect of the pandemic? Dog fraud. Ask the Better Business Bureau. From the CyberWire studios at Datatribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Friday, December 4th, 2020. The increase in ransomware and its now routine combination with data theft and doxing formed one of the bigger trends of 2020. Terrible is an adjective that rightly appears in State Scoop's account of the discussion of ransomware at this week's Aspen Institute's Cyber Summit. The ransomware operators have increased both their determination and rapacity. The addition of data theft adds bite to the extortion. Not only are the criminals denying the victims access to their data, but the criminals have another opportunity to monetize the results of their attack by selling stolen information on criminal markets. It's the threat of releasing the information that has now rendered the classic defense against ransomware, regular, secure backup, as imperfect protection. And it's unreasonable to expect criminals to keep their word when they promise to destroy stolen data if they're paid off. So in many respects, 2021 is expected to be a lot like 2020, only more so. Continuity Central has five ransomware-centric predictions for the coming year, and they're representative of what we're hearing. First, cybercriminals will concentrate attacks on the most critical industries, including healthcare and manufacturing organizations. Organizations that depend upon high data availability will continue to be particularly attractive to attackers, The deep pockets of the financial services sector will always be targets, but those pockets are also among the best protected. Healthcare and manufacturing? Not necessarily so. Second, attacks will find more sophisticated ways to get into your data center. 
attacks will adapt to defenses. Third, CISOs are going to focus more time and budget on recovering from an attack. The ransoms demanded are rising, and while it may soon be illegal to pay them in many jurisdictions, the increased sophistication of the attacks will increase recovery costs. Fourth, cyber attacks will put a renewed focus on data governance. This prediction is related to the now-routine data theft ransomware gangs will continue to commit. It also adds considerable regulatory risk to the victim's headache. And fifth, backup infrastructure will look very different and see a noticeable transformation. Backup is no longer a complete fix, but it remains a vital one. It will evolve into more secure, more routine, easier-to-use forms. Randori offered a similar set of predictions to eWeek. The first three applied directly to ransomware, the final pair to national policy. Their first prediction involves a projected advance in criminal technology. Deepfakes and voice fakes come to the enterprise. These will enable more effective social engineering and the production of falsified records that could cause considerable reputational damage to the victims. The second prediction is ransomware evolves to enterprise extortion. This is a step up from the threat of doxing. As Randori put it, quote, ransomware attacks will shift from I've stolen all your data, now pay me, to I'm going to extort your CEO with information I've found in the data I've stolen from you, and if you don't pay, we'll devalue your stock on Wall Street, end quote. And third, expect more cloud infrastructure ransom attacks. Enterprises are in the cloud. Criminals will be too. Fourth, a leadership crisis in IT talent will hit the U.S. government. Maybe high senior turnover will stop, or maybe not, but its effects may continue to be felt. We note in passing here that the acting director of the U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, the Washington Examiner reports, is standing by his predecessor's conclusion that the U.S. elections were secure. And finally on the list, expect an antitrust, anti-tech reckoning in 2021. There's bipartisan interest in some form of tech regulation in the U.S., and the situation is similar in the EU. This week's announcement by IBM that its researchers had discovered a concerted campaign directed at compromising the cold chain was widely taken as a warning about state-directed cyber espionage effort. The cold chain is that part of the supply chain that's used to transport biomedical material under temperature-controlled conditions. Security Week summarizes the case for classifying the effort as the work of an intelligence service. It's difficult to see how a socially engineered intrusion into a vaccine supply chain could be easily monetized, but it would yield information an intelligence service would find interesting. Some experts, Reuters notes, sees this as a general attempt at supply chain espionage that's only accidentally connected with COVID-19 vaccine research, and IBM's own conclusions suggest the activity they observed was consistent with battle space preparation. SC Magazine reports that big pharmaceutical company Eli Lilly's CISO sees a risk in the vaccine supply chain's lack of awareness that it's a target. It's not that the links in the chain are oblivious, but rather that the chain is, as IBM pointed out, extraordinarily complex. Many of the links may not be fully aware that they're in the COVID-19 vaccine supply chain at all. One reason for thinking espionage against the cold chain is state-directed is, as we've mentioned, the absence of any obvious way in which criminals could cash out on their take, 
but there are strong criminal motives for vaccine fraud too. Vice points out the dark web drug dealers are pushing bogus COVID-19 vaccines, including counterfeits of legitimate emerging treatments. The Wall Street Journal adds that vaccines will be attractive targets of theft too. They are liquid gold. And finally, how much is that doggy in the window? In Bitcoin, maybe? Here's one odd effect of the pandemic, at least in the U.S., a rise in dog purchase or adoption fraud. WBBM cites a caution from the Better Business Bureau to the effect that criminals are bilking people trying to get a dog. Why? It's supply and demand. It's because people want dogs around while they're locked down at home. And who wouldn't? We note that the dog rescue outfit that sprung the CyberWire's official editorial pooch from a South Carolina slammer a little more than three years ago has been out of dogs for a couple of months. Demand is high and the grifters have noticed. We hope to be able to write a Dog Bites Man story about these hoods soon. Hack forward and go get them, doggos. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. With the U.S. election in the rearview mirror and a new administration and Congress preparing to take their place, banks may find themselves facing new regulatory challenges. Joining us to discuss this possibility is Michael McGrath. He's Director, Global Regulations and Standards at OneSpan, a company that provides digital identity and anti-fraud solutions. They recently published their OneSpan Global Financial Regulations Report. Michael McGrath, thanks for joining us. Yes, it's a pleasure. Happy to be here, and thanks for having me. So today we're going to be talking about um, what banks should be doing to prepare for the post-election challenges they may be facing. 
looking at perhaps some uh, new regulatory landscapes. Um, let's start off with some high-level stuff here. Can you give us a little bit of a, a lay of the land? I mean, where do we find ourselves in terms of uh, where the banks are and, and, and what they're dealing with in terms of uh, potential regulations on the horizon? Sure, sure. I'd be happy to. Um, so, you know, where things are, we're right in the middle of a pandemic. And, you know, things have really changed over the over this year. Uh, the fraudsters, they, they kind of know what's going on out there. And um, uh, cyber attacks against banks increased. Uh, to, there was a report done earlier this year, 238% uh, during the pandemic. Uh, a lot of this is done through, you know, social engineering and phishing attacks and, and those types of things. But I think where the banks are right now, um, they, they have put things in place to uh, secure, not all banks, but uh, a lot of the banks have. Uh, and those that haven't, the, the fraudsters have, you know, realized this and, and uh, attacked them. <laughs> um, but, you know, just some interesting statistics that have, have come about. Account takeover fraud uh, has grown over 72% this year over uh, 2019. And um, banks reported a seven-fold increase in suspicious business loan activity. Um, and that's, that's on top of uh, what was happening at the state level, where the, uh, it was very well documented the uh, state unemployment offices were getting inundated with uh, false claims for unemployment uh, when the pandemic hit. And that was really from uh, nation-state attacks. So that's the lay of the land right now, um, as I see it, is, you know, the banks are really fast-tracking their plans uh, to digitize and have been forced to. Yeah. So, you know, we've just made our way through the election cycle here in the U.S. Um, where do the banks stand in terms of anticipating the possibility of new regulations with a new administration coming into power? I think what you're going to see with the Biden administration is uh, a more prominent, a prominent role or prominent focus on cybersecurity. Um, the, the Trump administration uh, did did do some good things, but one of the key things that the Trump administration uh, did is that they eliminated the role of the cybersecurity coordinator uh, at the national level, and. I would expect the, the Biden administration to restore that role. On a side note, there's a, uh, within Congress, there's a, uh, they established what they're calling a solarium commission that kind of goes through a whole host of different uh, cybersecurity initiatives uh, at the national level. And um, one of the initiatives or recommendations coming out of that commission is to create a formal National Cybersecurity Director uh, within the White House. And then on the um, legislative front, there was a lot of good legislation introduced this year. One was called the National Biometric Information Privacy Act. Um, so that, that if it was passed, it would prohibit businesses in the private sector from collecting a wealth of biometric data, you know, including fingerprints and face and retina scans, voice prints, without having consumer consent. Um, and there was also a Data Protection Act uh, that was introduced this year. 
And that would uh, create a federal data protection agency. We really don't have one today. Uh, we have the Federal Trade Commission uh, does some of that work. The Consumer Financial Protection Board does, does some of that work. So that, uh, I think you're going to see legislation like that come into play. And then uh, the, the other big one is really what, what happened during the election. Uh, the state of California, um, they had a ballot initiative to, I would say, update or replace the uh, current California Consumer Privacy Act uh, with a uh, new version called the California Private Privacy Rights Act or CPRA. Um, and that legislation uh, was overwhelmingly passed by the voters. And that uh, one of the key provisions in that is that it's all about protecting individuals' most personal information um, and allowing that individual to prevent businesses from using or sharing what they define as sensitive personal information. So that that was just passed. That's not going to come into play. But I, I wanted to mention that because I think you're going to see more states roll out their own similar legislation. And so there, there's a lot going on in, in Washington, uh, both as it relates to the Biden, the incoming Biden administration, but also uh, within the next congressional session. That's Michael McGrath from OneSpan. Don't forget we have extended versions of many of our CyberWire interviews as part of CyberWire Pro. You can find out more about that on our website, thecyberwire.com. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Johannes Ulrich. He is the Dean of Research at the Sands Technology Institute and also the host of the ISC Stormcast podcast, Johannes, always great to have you back. Um, we want to touch today on some files that are sort of, I don't know, is hiding in plain sight a, a good way to say it or perhaps uh, lesser known? <laughs> lesser known, yeah. That's a good, yeah. that's a very good way to put it, yes. <laughs> okay. What are we, what, what's going on here today? Yeah, so thanks for having me. It's actually a little security feature that you have in your, in your web server. And yes, you called it lesser known, actually the, Directory is called dot well known, and uh, <laughs> this is a directory that really has sort of evolved in a collection of I don't want to call it random file, but various files, and uh, people keep adding sort of to that collection of files that you have in there. And some of them are certainly interesting, and files that you should have there or that you should consider supporting. And it sort of all start out with the good old robots.txt file, which is a file that has existed on web servers forever to sort of mm. tell search engines how to index your page. 
Uh, now, um, people wanted initially to add similar files, but then decided, hey, instead of littering your document root with them, let's set up this .well known directory for it. And there's sort of two features in particular that have become more popular recently that I think have some real neat sort of security implications. The first one is, well, the file is just called security.txt. And uh, it's a text file, as the name implies, similar to robots.txt. But its purpose is to tell a researcher, to tell a secure professional that finds a vulnerability in your website, how do they get in touch with you? Uh, mm. So uh, you can leave like an email address in there uh, for your security contact. You can even indicate that you're participating in the bug bounty program or such. Because I myself ran into this uh, trying uh, to contact websites about a security vulnerability. And it's hard. It's hard. And it's a lot of work to figure out who to send the email to. And often you end up at the wrong address and it bounces or they don't know what you're talking about. And you right. know, often I've given up and uh, that, hey, you know, let them worry about it. Uh, but <laughs> yes. um, I, I'm doing a lot of free work for them. Uh, so here you make it actually easier and you sort of uh, make that. It's it's pretty much automatable at that point where mm. someone could automatically. I was going to say it it's, it's important to keep that one up to date as well. Yeah, it's important to keep that up to date. Uh, so it goes to a valid email address. And uh, there are a couple different options you have, but more or less, it's just a simple text file. Uh, mm. So um, it's it's very easy to maintain too. It's easy to install. Uh, so you don't need to enable any big features on your web server. And mm. you probably already have that dot well-known directory uh, because um, Let's Encrypt uh, use it for their ACME protocol to uh, set up uh, certificates. And uh, that's how usually that director is created in the first place. Oh, I see. Now, there's another one that's related to uh, passwords. What's going on with that one? Yeah, and that's uh, really change password. Uh, the problem they're trying to solve here is that these days uh, people use password managers. Mm. So uh, the problem then comes up uh, once you want to change that password, you have to go to a website, you have to find the page where you change the password, you change the password, and then you have to go to your password manager and make sure everything is in sync. And of course, if that fails, then passwords get lost and uh, costs happening because of uh, reset passwords and such. Yeah. Uh, change password really just points to the URL uh, that you use to change the password on your site. And a couple of uh, password managers, like, for example, the one that's built into Safari and uh, Google Chrome, also 1Password, started to support this feature now. So it actually works uh, where I can now tell my password manager, hey, I want to change the password for this site. And it will automatically open the browser on the right page. And then as I change the password, remember the new password. And uh, so a lot less friction and changing passwords, which... Yeah, probably users should do occasionally, so I don't want to make it too hard on them. Yeah, and it seems like all this is, is really about making it easier for the users. Like you said, reducing friction. Correct. It's all about reducing friction, making it easier, and all of these features are very easy to implement, so uh, there isn't really any big tools or anything like this that you need to install. It's just simple files or like that redirect. Uh, you can do that in various ways depending on what web server you're using. Yeah. All right, Johannes Ulrich, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you.
And that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Quality is remembered long after the price is forgotten. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. Be sure to check out this weekend's episode of Research Saturday and my conversation with Deepin Desai from Zscaler. We're going to be discussing the Ryuk ransomware. That's Research Saturday. Don't miss it. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technology. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the dark net, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire.